Lorenzo, welcome back to another episode of Was That a Fever Dream? Every week on this show, I discuss a pop culture moment, person, or trend that has felt like a fever dream. Whether that would be an early 2000s fashion trend, cringy internet habits when you were a teenager, or simply just your favorite artist flop era, I'm here to talk about it all. If you want to support the pod, please don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to rate the show to give it an extra boost. Hi guys! Welcome back to another episode. I know I'm a little late to the upload game. There is a reason for that. Um, Basically, I was... First of all, I already recorded this episode and, you know, I was editing the episode on Sunday and my computer is very old. Okay, it's very old. I've had it since like 2015, like the start of university. And unfortunately, sometimes she just does not like when I run really strenuous programs uh, like GarageBand, which is where I edit my Um, podcast episodes on and you know sometimes she just likes to clock out early and that's unfortunately what happened uh so she deleted all my files um and crashed on me so I I guess this is the universe's sign that I need to buy a new laptop but I spent so much money on Beyonce tickets that I don't have the funds to do so so anyways regardless I have found a new device I have tried to record this multiple, re-record this multiple times um, on other devices. It just wasn't hitting. So hopefully the audio doesn't sound janky in this one. I think it sounds fine. I, I tested it and tried it multiple times. So I'm hoping this is okay. All that to say, I am a little late to the upload game, but you know, she's back And don't you worry, because new episodes will be coming at the regular schedule time on Mondays. So initially, I had this episode planned as like a Super Bowl halftime show themed episode. And this is still what it's going to be. But in the beginning of uh, the previous recording of this particular episode, I talked about my predictions for the Rihanna Super Bowl halftime show. And like, I talked about like what I predicted uh, the opening song was going to be. I said it was Don't Stop the Music. Um, unfortunately, that did not happen. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, she started off with Bitch Better Have My Money. And I think that's even more iconic, in my opinion. So I'm gonna just going to, I'm just going to get into the whole performance itself. Um, basically, I know all of Twitter was like really mad that, I don't even know why they were mad. I don't know why they were mad. Um, I think people were saying how, like, she, like, she wasn't, you know, um, giving as much as she meant to give. But here's the thing, and I guess some of you bitches aren't real fans. (laughs) Because I don't know what else you, you wanted from her. She is literally pregnant. Probably, like, four or five months pregnant at this point. What more did did you want? She already gave you production. She already gave you stage design. She gave you high quality um, cinematography. What more do you want? And here's the thing. 
Um, Rihanna has never been like a choreographed, like asked artist. She's just there for the vibes. But the thing about Rihanna that I love is she knows how to um she knows how to command a stage. And that's what she did. She was vibing. She was having a good time. And yeah, like she's not really, she's never been an artist who excelled in choreo. Like she is just there to have a good time, to have a fun time. And that's, that's exactly what she did. I will say the set list surprised me in a really good way. Like I was like pleasantly surprised. Like that set list was for the Navy and the Navy only, okay? She brought out all the hits. She brought out, like, things that I don't... I wouldn't have expected her to bring out, especially for the halftime performance, because I feel like some artists like to just cater to the general Caucasian audience, but she didn't. When she came out and saying, bitch better have my money, I was gagged. Also, when she came out and saying, wild thoughts, that was unexpected. I was like, hold, hold on. That's crazy. That's crazy. I really, per- okay, personally, I love the performance. I love the performance from start to finish. Uh, when I first watched it, I was like, yes. And then everyone on Twitter was like, like hooing and hawing because apparently like it wasn't I guess it wasn't good enough for her and it's like you guys need to take several seats in the Roger Center stadium because that is ridiculous like what do you mean that she wasn't giving it her all like she's literally pregnant what more do you want what more do you want and she gave us a little makeup tutorial I honestly iconic her her business strategy is so like so good I I mean I've watched her since like the beginning of her career and to see how much she has evolved from an artist to a businesswoman to now a mother she is mother okay and I'm so happy for her I thought the performance was really well done uh Rihanna if you're listening to this which I don't know if you are but if you are loved it Loved every second of it. I got to give it up to, first of all, the production. The stage design was iconic. I know I've said this before, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I don't really care, okay? It was simplistic. It was, like, clean. It was just... It it had everything that you needed. It had, like, you know... um, It was really technologically advanced. Like, she, she was floating on the stadium with the little, like you know, platforms. And then she gave us production on top with with the with the crazy cinematography. Listen, Apple Music, I know they're the new sponsors. They got budget. <laughs> Cause they hired like a full on Oscar nominated, Emmy nominated, like it was it was it was cute. And then I really have to give it up to the dancers because they were kind of on point. Rihanna and her marshmallow dancers. <laughs> Next level. I think, um, I know Paris uh, Gobel was the one who um, choreographed it. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she did such a good job. I think this, like the choreography was, 
it was so different. It was so fresh. It was so new. Um, and like the, the dancers really killed it. And honestly, the next day, my whole For You page was filled with um, TikToks from the backup dancers who, by the way, got to keep their costumes after the halftime show, which I thought was great. Like, hello. Th- now that is honestly like, to me, that is the perfect like two truth, one lie situation. Like the, the backup dancers you know, they are going to kill the two truth, one lie game moving forward in their life. Um, And I love that they got to keep it. I love that they got to talk about their experience. And it it looked like they had so much fun, which I loved. Um, I can't wait to see like a documentary behind the scenes situation of how this all kind of unfolded, because I feel like a lot of artists do that nowadays with like, um, you know, like a documentary on their Super Bowl halftime show. So I'm really excited for that. I hope that comes out soon. I don't know if that is going to come out soon, but I'm manifesting it. Um, Because, you know, Rihanna's got, she secured the bag with the Apple Music partnership. So Uh, maybe it'll be on Apple TV Plus. I don't know. Who knows? But I thought it was really well done. You haters need to stop. I, I don't get, I don't get, I don't get the whole like, criticism for it okay um so that was my thoughts on the super bowl performance basically what i had planned for this episode was to talk about um another super bowl performance that has honestly probably never left like the public consciousness to be completely honest and so that's why i wanted to talk about this particular one because it it was so like controversial it was so like weirdly monumental it was kind of ingrained in my childhood almost um and that was janet jackson's super bowl halftime show so i'm going to talk a little bit about this particular halftime show um and why it was so controversial at the time Um, which I mean, looking back on it really did not need to have so much negative press behind it. Um, but I'm going to talk about that more in detail before I do that. I'm going to talk kind of about the halftime show in general and how the halftime show kind of evolved from like its humble beginnings, quote unquote, to, to, to like what it is now, which is like kind of like a celebrity spectacle. Oh, right. Oh, first of all, I just kind of want to talk about my favorite halftime shows in recent years. Um, Obviously, Beyonce, I know she's performed twice. And honestly, that's so iconic of her. Like, that is, I I don't even think that's, like, a a thing. I don't think an artist has held that. But I don't, that could be so wrong. I'm not sure. I do prefer her first performance when she did, um, it was, like, the, you know, um, the 2013 performance with Destiny's Childs. That was iconic. That was, I had, that had me gagged for weeks, months even, like, ugh, iconic. And then she announced her tour after that show. I also really loved um, Lady Gaga's performance in 2017. I, first of all, I'm like a huge Gaga fan. Uh, I know I talk endlessly about Beyonce, but I also really love Gaga. I think she is like, like, I think she truly paved the way for a lot of these modern pop 
girlies. Um, another one that I really love that comes to mind is the Shakira and uh, JLo performance right, my, right before the pandemic, which was kind of <laughs> crazy to think about because uh, that was like kind of our last bit, like our last like piece of happiness before the world ended. I love that performance in general. I thought it flowed really well. So yeah, I think those are like the main ones that I really loved. I also really liked the Katy Perry performance. Listen, Katy, Katy Perry is, I, I feel like an underrated pop star because here's the thing about Katy Perry. She has had hits on hits on hits on hits. And I don't know, she just doesn't really get enough credit in the music industry. I guess it's because she kind of had that, like, I, she is, like, a little weirder, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just personally think that Katy Perry deserves a little bit more recognition. Teenage Dream was the perfect pop album, point blank, period, okay? That was such a good record. And, uh, yeah, honestly, Katy Perry, justice for Katy Perry. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's talk about the history of the Super Bowl. Uh, sorry, the Super Bowl halftime show. We're not talking about the Super Bowl. I don't really care about sports. Um, <laughs> so the first ever Super Bowl took place uh, on January 15th, 1967 in Los Angeles. And their halftime show, I like to say humble, humble beginnings. It really did start from humble beginnings. So originally the halftime show was like almost very similar to what you would see in a college uh college football halftime show or like a college basketball halftime show so they would kind of um bring in the like the university marching band in the beginning the mission of the Super Bowl halftime show was actually to fill time and entertain entertain fans who weren't stuck in lines at the concession stands or the bathrooms so the first ever uh, halftime performance featured the University of Arizona's symphonic marching band with appearances by the Grambling State's University's marching band and the Anaheim High Anaheim High School drill team. God, can I read? <laughs> okay. So, uh what's interesting about the the first ever Super Bowl halftime show is the Grambling State is actually a, an HBCU, so it's a historically black college university, which was kind of uh unprecedented back in the 1960s to have um, you know, a black marching band perform for like a white audience uh because obviously, you know, racial tensions were super high, especially in Los Angeles. So, you know, these college marching bands would basically be a staple for entertainment until the mid-90s, uh, but there were some celebrity talent that was integrated into the halftime show before marching bands were completely phased out. So the first ever, like, celebrity performance at a halftime show was a Broadway star. Yes, and it wasn't Leah Michelle. It was this girl named Carol Channing, and like I said, she was the first celebrity performer at the Super Bowl halftime show, and she took the stage during a Mardi Gras-themed halftime show in 1970. And what's interesting about the theme that I mentioned there is that up until the 2000s, the Super Bowl halftime show performances were actually crafted around a certain theme. So, for example, and this is kind of a weird theme that... Uh, 
they had at the time. So in 1989, the Super Bowl halftime show was centered around what was called the Bebop Bamboozled like performance, <laughs> which is okay, weird. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's like a 80s lingo situation. I'm not sure. But the Super Bowl halftime show was themed or was called the Bebop Bamboozled Show. And this show featured an Elvis impersonator named Elvis Presto, uh, who was the main performer. Like, okay. (laughs) And uh, this show was actually called, like, it was considered a flop, essentially. So then we get to 1992. And this is kind of when you get a bit of a shift in the NFL sort of thought process around the halftime show so at the time the Super Bowl was airing on CBS um, but their competitor which is Fox decided to air a live episode of In Living Color which at the time was like a very very popular sitcom comedy show Uh, so they decided to air an episode of In Living Color at the same time that the halftime show was happening so because of that uh, 22 million viewers tuned out for it to watch the In Loving Color episode. Um, and this essentially basically, it, it sparked changes to the way the Super Bowl halftime show would be structured. Um, and this Super Bowl halftime show in 1992 was kind of like really unhinged. Like, I don't know how else to explain it other than it honestly looked like a fever dream. So, let me just set the scene for you. <laughs> so this theme uh, was called Winter Magic, okay? Centered around, like, uh, a 1990s winter wonderland. Um, and so the set design itself was, like, the the stage itself was a snowflake. Um, and on the stage, they had, like, a bunch of people, like, skating. Um, there was a bunch of, like, you know dancers that were there kind of dressed in these like winter inspired outfits so like they were all in white and they also had children wrapping uh, a frosty the snowman wrap and they're dressed in like these like mc hammer pants like super 80s i don't know how else to explain it i just i recommend you guys watch this show it's the it's the 1992 super bowl halftime show and honestly it's it's a must watch it's like truly it's it's a hot mess So, I mean, naturally, right, these people would tune out of this uh, and watch the In Loving Color episode. I know I would. (laughs) If I was watching this train wreck of a show, I would be like, okay, no, I'm going to tune out. I'm going to watch the In Loving Color episode on Fox. After this flop of a situation, this is when the NFL sort of realized that, you know, we need to figure out, we need to do a pivot and, you know, hire... um, tier a talent to 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 host the halftime show and this is when michael jackson entered the scene in 1993 so the next year the following year um that's when michael jackson performed a five song set list uh and the theme was heal the world and this really changed the trajectory of the super bowl halftime show like as we see it, because first of all, this is the first time we saw um, a really big celebrity headline the Super Bowl halftime show, and not only that, it really like the way the show that this particular halftime show was structured. It was just very much a bunch of his hits, uh, 
And it was just very much centered around one particular artist. And it wasn't just, you know, like the marching band. And then you had, you know, other elements that played into it. Uh, so it, he treated it as sort of like this mid-game mini concert uh, instead of it being a band showcase, a marching band showcase. So now that I've sort of given you a brief synopsis on how the halftime show evolved from its early humble beginnings to, you know, how it's become this like celebrity spectacle as we now see it. Um, I want to talk brief. I want to talk about the the performance that really sticks out as like so controversial, um, and that was the Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake Super Bowl halftime show. So I pulled a bunch of this information from a bunch of different articles that were surfacing online, um, but I also watched. The there's this New York Times documentary called Malfunction, the dressing down of Janet Jackson. And it was a very, very fascinating documentary. Well, first of all, I think the reason why I found it so interesting was because I thought they did a really great job of explaining sort of the context behind why it caused so much controversy. Um, Mainly because of the, I guess, toxic celebrity culture of the early 2000s. And I feel like this is one of those situations that have kind of come back to the public consciousness. And, you know, I think people have realized that it's not okay that this happened to Janet Jackson. Um, Okay, so let's just get started with, with the timeline. So, you know, I love a good timeline. So I have broken this down into specific uh, timestamps. So anyways, let's just get started. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. (laughs) Okay. So in December of 2003, this is when the NFL officially announces that Janet Jackson would headline the show, which would be produced by MTV. Now, the reason why I called out the fact that this particular show was produced by MTV was because there was a lot of like weird repercussions about it being produced by MTV, which I'll talk about later on. Um, But basically what you need to know is that MTV is also owned by uh, CBS, VH1, and Viacom. So those, all those networks are under the Viacom umbrella, uh, which I'll talk about later, but it, it, it kind of created this sort of terrible sort of snowball effect for Janet in particular. So the MTV network also produced the 2001 halftime show that featured Britney Spears, Aerosmith, Mary J. Blige, uh, NSYNC, and Nelly. And Janet, in response to this announcement that she would be headlining the Super Bowl, she said, there's no bigger spectacle than the Super Bowl. It's a unique and exciting experience that I have looked forward to for many years. So obviously there was a lot of hype around this this performance. She was kind of like at the peak of her career. January 2004. So days before the Super Bowl halftime show aired, uh, Janet Jackson's choreographer Gil Duldulau told MTV News that there would be, quote, shocking moments in the performance. Uh, And this quote was later pointed to as evidence that Jackson's team always knew that the wardrobe tearaway was planned. So this is where we get a little crazy. So... (laughs) Let's talk about the performance. So this was February 1st, 2004. 
Um, Justin Timberlake was added as a surprise addition to the February 1st halftime show. And he would join Jackson for a rendition of the song Rock Your Body. And this was near the end of her performance. So when he got to the line, gonna have you naked by the end of the song, uh, Justin Timberlake ripped Janet Jackson's costume to reveal her breast covered only by a piece of nipple jewelry. And what's interesting about this particular moment is that it was it was so quick that you really had to rewind to understand what actually happened. Um, and you can really tell that when Justin ripped off that that piece of her clothing that and and exposed Janet's breasts, like he, she was very very embarrassed, and you could just tell just by her face that she was shocked that that even happened. Now this story obviously broke headlines um immediately after the performance mtv and justin timberlake issued their first apologies they said quote the tearing of janet jackson's costume was unrehearsed unplanned completely unintentional and was inconsistent with assurances we had about the content of the performance um mtv regrets this incident occurred and we apologize to anyone who was offended by it and then the next day janet jackson issued her own statement per the request of cbs saying that mtv didn't know about the tearaway until it happened she said quote the decision to have a costume reveal at the end of my halftime show performance was made after final rehearsals MTV was unaware of it. It was not my intention that it go as far as it did. I apologize to anyone offended, including the audience, MTV, CBS, and the NFL. And then on February 3rd, the FCC, which is like this giant conglomerate agency that kind of sort of oversees content um, from an American standpoint, they launched an investigation into the incident after receiving more than 500,000 complaints about the broadcast. That same day, an MTV executive claimed that Jackson was entirely responsible for the tearaway. Jackson's team, meanwhile, released a statement saying that Justin Timberlake was only supposed to pull the top layer of the costume to reveal a bustier underneath. Now, there, I feel like there are a lot of different sources in terms of you know, what actually was supposed to happen um, if that whole situation was rehearsed. So in all honesty, we will probably never really know like exactly what happened. Um, In the documentary, they talked about how during the dress rehearsals, they actually had um, a skirt that Janet Jackson was wearing and um, they tried to do like the tearaway bit with the skirt, but unfortunately, because of the weight of the skirt or something along those lines, uh, that you know it didn't it didn't follow through. So they didn't end up doing it. There are again, like I said, there are a lot of claims to exactly what happened, but we will probably never really know the truth, to be completely honest. Um, so a lot of people really got on Janet Jackson after this performance. She received so much hate for this performance and really took the brunt of the controversy. But Justin Timberlake got off scot-free. Let's talk about, I guess, the repercussions of this performance in general. So um, days after the performance on February 8th, Justin Timberlake performed at the 46th Annual Grammy Awards, where he took 
two trophies. Um, Janet Jackson was actually originally supposed to be uh, to, supposed to appear during a Luther Vandross tribute, but was removed from the lineup in the aftermath of the Super Bowl. And what's interesting here is that when Justin Timberlake won his Grammy that night, he obviously, you know, gave us gave us an acceptance speech. But the way he delivered the speech was super, I don't even know, like, it was just very, like, fluffy. He tried to, like, skate around the topic. He tried to, like, joke around the topic. Um, he said, I know it's been a rough week on everybody. What occurred was an unintentional, uh, completely regrettable, and I apologize if you guys were offended. Um, but when he said, I know it's been a rough week on everybody, he kind of turned to the camera and like smiled a little bit, sorry, turned to the audience and smiled a little bit. And the the audience was kind of like giddy and like laughing with him. Bit weird if you ask me, (laughs) cause it's not been a rough week for you, Justin. Um, I just kind of want to quickly rewind back to the performance itself. I feel like this performance was meant to be like the pinnacle of Janet Jackson's career, as is with any sort of Super Bowl performance that an artist will put out. And to think that it got ruined just because her like boob flashed for nine sixteenths of a second, mind you nine sixteenths of a second to think that it was it was ruined because of that one move from justin was kind of sickening to me like that is not okay um it was also at the time the most tivoed um moment in television history so if you remember tivo it was like a vcr no what is it called like you could record shows on on a tivo um so that was one of the most like tivoed moments in history in addition to that, um, and a kind of, I guess, not a quirky thing that came out of this, but, like, a kind of, like, weird and interesting tidbit that came out of this, uh, the word, the term wardrobe malfunction, like, grew to popularity when Justin Timberlake put out a statement on, on what exactly happened. He said, quote, Sorry that anyone was offended by the wardrobe malfunction during the halftime performance of the Super Bowl. Um, and because of this, this, this term kind of blew up um, in major news stories, um, in, you know, publications, newspapers, TV, radio broadcasts, that sort of thing. And it kind of grew to popularity, I guess, uh, which is interesting because obviously, like, this is not, I feel like this is <laughs> something that we should be celebrating, but... In addition to that specific thing, the idea of YouTube and the idea of sharing videos to the internet, um, the reason why YouTube, you know, came to be and the reason why YouTube was founded was actually because of this particular uh, Super Bowl performance. Uh, So the founders of YouTube, Steve Chen, Chad Hurley, and Joed Kareem, they basically attribute the inspiration behind YouTube to the this specific halftime show when Janet Jackson's breast was exposed by Justin Timberlake. Um, they said that they could not find clips, video clips of the incident, and which led to the idea of a video sharing site. So as soon as they sort of had that idea, they realized, oh, like, you know, it would be cool. Like, let's just have like a video sharing site that, you know, people could upload videos to on the internet. Um, and it would be easy to find these sort of like 
major pop culture moments um, on, on the internet. And honestly, let's give a share of YouTube to Janet Jackson. Because if that's the reason why they started YouTube, because they wanted to see, you know, the video of her breast, give her, give her a share. Give her, like, part, like, ownership at this point. <laughs> So let's talk about the repercussions of this particular Super Bowl performance. Um, so like I said, the incident took place in nine sixteenths of a second, which is like, you honestly wouldn't be able to notice at first, at first glance. Um, but for that fraction of a second, the FCC would receive a record 540,000 complaints um, and fined CBS a record $550,000. And it's interesting when you look back at sort of the headlines at the time and also just like the news reports of this particular incident because it it almost seemed like Jack Janet Jackson went from pop superstar to like the punchline of the decade. And, you know, people kept speaking about it. She would be, like, the punchline on, like, daytime talk shows, on, like, nighttime talk shows. Um, people would talk about it in the media and the news and even went so far as to comment about her actual breast that was exposed. Um, it was almost symbolic of what celebrity culture was like at the time. Because female celebrities were not respected at the time. You know, they were heavily scrutinized in the media. You know, they were talked about constantly about their appearance, about sort of, you know, how they portray themselves. But meanwhile, Justin Timberlake's career was flourishing. He was selling records. He was going on tours. Like, he was getting all these brand deals. So there was clearly a double standard here because, you know, Janet Jackson took much of the blame for this incident when Justin Timberlake was the one who ripped off, you know, the part of her costume and was the reason why her breast was exposed on national television. So it just goes to show you the double standard in celebrity culture at the time. And not to say that it's completely been eradicated, because it's definitely not, but it was very blatant. So there's another person that I kind of want to talk about briefly in this section, um, because I feel like this person really played a role in sort of Janet Jackson's uh, career, kind of, you know, not doing so well after this particular halftime performance. And that person is Mr. Les Moonves. Now, if you are familiar with this evil man, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but for those of you who don't know, Les Moonves at the time was uh, the head honcho, the CEO of CBS. So this man, first of all, he is no longer with CBS. Years later, a bunch of women came forward saying that he was sexually abusing them. Um, and unfortunately, he, he had to step down from his role at CBS, and this investigation is uh, ongoing. But um, what I wanted to say about him is that this guy, like many men in Hollywood, really was drunk with power. And he was someone, and th they talk about this in the documentary, he had so much power that he could literally make or break someone's career. 
Um, he was also someone who allegedly held a lot of grudges. And this guy is just, like, scary, right? Like, you don't really want to mess with him. So there was this um, article that was uh, published to the Huffington Post not too long ago. I believe it was 2018. And basically, it it, it said that Les Moonves was furious over this particular scandal. I wouldn't even call it a scandal, like, controversy. It said that for years, he held a grudge against Janet Jackson specifically, and he was obsessed with derailing her career. He didn't believe the performer's assertion that Justin Timberlake removed both Jackson's leather bustier and the red lace underneath it by accident. Instead, he believed that they planned it as a ploy to drum up controversy. He also was apparently very furious with Janet because he did not think she was sorry enough for what happened, even though she apologized vehemently to the network. She even put out, like, she put out several statements, mind you. She put out, like, a video statement to the CBS network. Also, what's interesting in this article is that um, apparently Les Moonves blacklisted Janet Jackson from Viacom. And what this entailed was that he ordered that all the company's radio stations, as well as its television networks, VH1 and MTV, not to play Jackson's music. Which, I mean, at the time is kind of insane for an artist of her caliber to be blacklisted off MTV, which is like kind of this like huge music conglomerate. And, you know, people especially like artists really strive to be on MTV to show their music videos in order to get sort of like press and notoriety like people you know MTV was that girl she you know like MTV was really that girl and to think that you know he blacklisted her music to play not only on MTV but also on the company's radio stations was literally disgusting and severely petty and you know going back to the grammys that i was talking about he was the one because he kind of owned cbs he oversaw the the company and the channel he was actually the one to not allow justin timberlake or janet jackson to be on the grammys but the story goes that justin timberlake personally went to the CBS uh, headquarters in person uh, and delivered apparently like a really good apology. I don't know. Maybe maybe he sucked his dick. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I'm not sure. But basically, you know, he went in, in person to apologize. Apparently, Janet Jackson did not get an in-person apology or she didn't go for an in-person apology and that's why Les Moonves was really pissed about this. If you know about Les Moonves, you know this man is disgusting and these reports only came out not too long ago. So to think this all happened in tandem with all the other allegations that he, he had, I mean, send this man to jail. Send this man to jail and listen, Julie Chen, if you're listening to this, just 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 divorce that man. Take the prenup and leave. Okay. So, like I mentioned, you know, Justin Timberlake's career was flourishing even years after this particular performance. Um, and 
if you don't remember, Justin Timberlake actually headlined the 2018 Super Bowl halftime show. Very controversial, I feel, at the time. And what's interesting is that, you know, when he headlined the show, people were tweeting in support of Janet. And, you know, they they had they had justice for Janet um, and Janet Jackson Appreciation Day, the number one trending topics on Twitter. And, you know, I feel like now, especially with the younger generation, you know, people are holding these men accountable. I feel like people are also looking at someone like Justin Timberlake and just rethinking sort of the actions that he did uh, to these women. It's obviously like a little too late, (laughs) not gonna lie, but I feel like better late than never. And it's interesting looking back on this from my perspective, because I mean, I was only seven years old when this happened. Um, But growing up, you know, I I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I didn't really have a full understanding of what was going on. And the, the thing that I remember hearing, especially in the media, was that this was kind of all John Jackson's fault. You did not hear one peep from Justin Timberlake. You know, the way that the, the, the story was covered in the media, it a lot of it was uh, blamed on Janet. And Justin Timberlake was completely absent from, from these headlines. And not only that, but I feel like Justin was really... It it was completely absent from my own memory of the situation. And it was sad. It's really sad. I I don't think she should have suffered like that. I think, you know, she she made it through um, and she is still successful. She is still Janet Jackson. Yes, ma'am. But, you know, she really had to go through it and she didn't deserve that, to be completely honest. Um, Justin Timberlake since uh, has put out a statement in 2021, mind you. 2021, he put out the statement. Um, Let me just read it out for you. And it was obviously like a notes app apology, which we love. (laughs) He said, I am deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem, where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. I understand that I fell short in these moments and that in many others, and that, and in many others, oh my god, can I read? <laughs> I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson both individually because I care for and respect these women and I know I have failed. So, I mean, it took him long enough, but I mean, you know, I guess accountability is accountability. It just, it sucks that, you know, it took so many years. It took literally like a documentary. It took basically like an entire pandemic. It took people coming to Twitter to, you know, speak out on this issue. It took him, again, years, years to just like address the situation. And honestly, it is it is disappointing to think that he has really benefited from the position that he's in but I think you know what like there is an opportunity there for him to learn from his actions and for him to take a lot more accountability and responsibility for it I guess that's how the cookie crumbles so it took you decades Justin but whatever it's fine (laughs) just 
I'm gonna let it be. So that was the story of the very infamous wardrobe malfunction, as we now call it, um, of the 2004 Super Bowl halftime show. I hope you enjoyed the story. I hope I broke it down in really simplistic yet digestible terms. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you guys have an amazing week. A new episode will come out on Monday now that I have, you know, my life together. I have my shit together. I have my technology in order. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this and give this show a rating. You know, it really helps. Like I said, I will talk to you guys on Monday. Um, But until then, I hope you guys all have a fabulous week. I'll see you guys on the flip side. Bye.